today. Some of you we haven't seen in a while. Good to have you back. It's always good to get the family together. So today we're going to be looking at Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. We'll go through 18. We'll just touch on 18, and then Reuben will teach a similar message next week, looking at some of the same passage, and then go further. So if you can turn with me to Ephesians 6. Let's just lay our hands on the Word of God as we do this. I want to mention that we got a card, a thank you card from Ann Whit's sister, thanking us for the meal that we provided for the family following Ann Whit's funeral. So thank you so much, everyone who took part in that, especially Mary Ann who organized it and told us all what to do. Hallelujah. We, we all need some leaders in the body. <laughs> okay, so we're going to lay our hands on the Word and pray over it. Thank you, Father, that your word is active and living and powerful, that it is effective to mirror to us the areas where we are walking righteously with you and the areas where we're not. And Holy Spirit, I ask today, would you convict us of any area of compromise or sin? Would you strengthen the word of God in our lives Lord, would you uh, implant it deeply in us. We receive your word with humble hearts and ask that it be engrafted into us so that we can live it, breathe it, speak it, pray it. Establish your kingdom more firmly in our lives today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So he starts out in Ephesians 6 verse 10 and he says, Finally, my brethren. In conclusion, my brethren, and he's tying together what he has said in the previous chapters, especially the three key relationships that he spoke of in the previous chapter and the beginning of this chapter. Once you have your significant relationships right at home, remember we talked about marriage from the end of Matthew 5, and then the first part of uh, Matthew 5, you can tell we're teaching that, sorry, Ephesians 5, and then the first part of Ephesians 6 where he talks about uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And we looked at spiritual parenting as well as natural parenting and our role as intercessors over our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Then he talked about the relationships between servants, as Reuben said, bond servants, and what we would kind of apply today would be employers and employees. So what Paul says here is finally, when you're walking in right relationships and righteous relationships, with each other in the family and in the workplace, then the rest of verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's not strength in the flesh, it's strength in the spirit. And we cannot stand strong in the spirit if our key relationships are out of order. I can't stress that enough. We've got to have them in order. We're walking in peace in our homes. We're walking in righteousness with those that we interact with on a regular basis. Verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemings of the devil. So he says, put on the whole armor of God. Don't just put on one piece of it. Don't just have the breastplate of righteousness that covers your heart and then forget about the helmet. Don't just take the sword of the spirit and forget about your shield. Put on the whole armor of God. So you can stand against the schemes, the deceits, the strategies of the devil. The Greek word that Paul uses for stand against the enemy means to vigorously oppose, strongly and actively oppose. We are to vigorously oppose the enemy. 
And then in verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And the Greek word for wrestle here is the same word used for wrestling in the public Roman games, which indicated a very real battle. So when he said we don't wrestle against, they knew there was a real battle that's being indicated here. Our fight is not against people, flesh and blood, but it is against spiritual enemies, demonic powers, and hosts of wickedness in the invisible realm. So when we join the family of God through conversion, we also enlisted in the army of God. We weren't told that when we were six years old, were we? But that's the truth. We enlisted in the army of God. And so engaging in spiritual warfare is part of being in his army. This is the normal Christian life, that we pray to Jesus, but we rebuke the enemy, not only temptation when it comes against us, but we rebuke the enemy when he is attacking our loved ones, when he is attacking our cities, our states, our nations. We engage in spiritual warfare. We are to exert his authority over the enemy. Our spiritual enemies will use every means of deceit and attack to have victory over the people of God. The devil will not stop attacking, and so we cannot stop resisting him. Our battle is ongoing. Don't think that you have won a battle and so you're finished for a while. The enemy never takes a break. So we never need to take a break. We need to continually stand against what the enemy wants to do against us, against our families, our neighborhoods, our cities, and so forth. Turn, hold that place and let's go to 1 Peter 5.8. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober. That means be alert. Be vigilant, be on your guard. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is still doing that today, not just 2,000 years ago in Peter's day when he wrote this. Your enemy, the devil, is walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Don, there are chairs up front if you want to come up to the uh, Pentecostal section. Oh, okay. Good to see you, brother. So Paul was in Roman custody from the years 60 to 64 A.D., and he labored in prayer for the dozens of new churches that he established on his missionary journeys. He had heard of their treatment under Roman occupation, and so through his letters to them, he would urge them to remain strong in the faith, and he's doing that again here. The word withstand in verse 13, let's go there. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. The word withstand has the connotation of being the last man standing. I'm sure you've heard that phrase, the last man standing. When the battle is over and the battlefield is littered with the dead and the dying, the believers are to be on their feet, immovable, victorious, and preparing for the next battle. I'm going to read that to you again because I think Joe got it more than anybody. What would we do without Joe, our amen section? Thank you, brother. <laughs> oh, good. We have some more. So 
When the battle is over and the battlefield is littered with the dead and the dying, the believers are to be on their feet, immovable, victorious, and preparing for the next battle. We don't suffer defeat. We get up and keep going. The early church was aware of the Roman military machine and the danger that it presented to those who opposed it. It was the mightiest army in the known world. It would set up Roman government, religious and social institutions everywhere it went. It would, care, it would take every inch of ground that a weaker, less prepared, or less opponent, less alert opponent would allow. And so that speaks to us because that's what the enemy will do. He will take every ground that we will allow by not being alert or not being prepared or just being weak in our faith, weak in standing when the Lord's called us to stand. The enemy will attack and he'll take every ground that he can. The believers were engaged in a very real battle. The believers today are engaged in a very real battle. It's not so much for them, I'm going to say in their, their age, it was not so much against the cults, the false religions, and the atheism that they encountered daily, but it was with the demonic forces who were their real enemies. That's true for us today. It's not so much all the other cults, the other religions, the Satanism, the witchcraft that's going on all around us. It's not so much all of that. It's the enemy of our souls. It's the demonic forces. And so it was critical for them to understand the enemy, and it's critical for us to understand who are we wrestling against. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against that family member that drives you crazy. It's not against things that are being decided that go against um, where you stand, your righteous stance before the Lord. It's not anything like that. It is, it is not flesh and blood. It is spiritual. We have a battle, and we have an enemy, and we're engaged in it. So the imagery that Paul uses when he says, put on the whole armor of God, that imagery was familiar to them because they were very um, acquainted with the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. They knew the scriptures where they were instructed to put on righteousness as their clothing. That's in Job 29. To put on the garment of praise, that's Isaiah 61, and to put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation, and that's from Isaiah 59. So in verse 14, it says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So Reuben, can we put up the Roman soldier? This is what a Roman soldier was dressed like. This is his uniform. So in light of Paul's circumstances, it's not surprising that he used the, milita the Roman military uniform as a visual aid. They all knew what he was talking about. And so he told them how to put on spiritual armor using Roman pieces of armor. So that's what we're going to look at. Paul began with the belt of truth. There you go. The belt was used to carry smaller weapons and to gird up the loins. You've heard that phrase in scripture, gird up your loins. Well, it meant that men and women who wore long, loose garments would pull them up and tuck them into their belt before they engaged in any strenuous activity. And so to gird up your loins was to do that. Pull up your garment, tuck it into your belt. So the belt was the support system for running your race, 
for carrying other weapons. It was the strongest part of the body when he says, gird your waist about with truth. That's to be the strongest part of our lives is the truth of the word of God and the truth that we walk in, the honesty, the integrity, the lack of hypocrisy. It's interesting that the Hebrew word for truth is the word emet, and it's, it's made up of three Hebrew letters. The first letter of the alphabet, the Aleph, the middle letter, the Mem, and the last letter, the Toph. And so rabbis say that truth is to be the beginning, the middle, and the end of the foundation of our faith. It's the whole picture of faith. I like that. So God's word of truth should be our main supporting piece of armor. We need to know the word. We need to study it. We need to memorize portions of it. Um, there, Some people are beginning now to speak prophecies that in the days not, not as far away as we thought, we may not have the written word of God. So we need to get it into our hearts, write it on our hearts, write it in our minds, allow it to renew our minds. So we think according to scripture. According to Psalm 51, verse 6, truth is a condition for receiving spiritual revelation. In that verse, David says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. God reveals his wisdom to those who have truth in their inward parts. Isn't that good? I'm going to say that again. God reveals his wisdom only to those who have truth in their inward parts. So if we will hide God's word in our heart and we're living it out in our lives, we're walking in truth, we're walking in veracity, in verity, we're walking in faithfulness and, and no duplicity in our lives, then the Lord will impart truth to us. We've met the condition and we can receive the promise of, of his wisdom. Okay, the next piece of armor he speaks of is the Roman breastplate. It had overlapping metal strips, covered the front and the back of the soldier, had additions for each arm. You can see how it protrudes over the shoulder. It provided protection, but it was heavy and awkward to wear. It also chafed the soldier's skin, so a tunic was worn under the armor with a special piece to protect the neck from chafing. You can see the red piece sticking out there. This piece of red fabric protected the skin, but it was also a vivid target for enemies who could kill a Roman soldier with one arrow aimed at the throat. <clears throat> so the breastplate that protects us is righteousness, right standing with God, right standing with man, making right choices every day against temptation and to live holy lives. If we engage in compromise or sin, we become a target for the enemy. Jesus is our righteousness. One of the covenant names of God in the Old Testament is Adonai Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Jesus became that for us when he died for us, rose again for us. He became our righteousness. <clears throat> and as we abide in him, we live out, we flesh out his righteousness. Let's go to verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Here's the Roman sandals. <clears throat> we are to wear shoes prepared with the gospel of peace. 
The Roman shoes were very strong. This was a strong leather. It had many pieces of metal embedded in the bottom of the leather. And this provided traction if the soldier was running over slippery rocks or walking through sand. But each shoe was also a weapon. <clears throat> if an enemy had been knocked down but was not subdued during combat, one stomp with a foot could kill him. It's interesting, too, in the archaeological digs, the item they have found the most over the years have been the sandals of the Romans. So as believers, we need to be prepared with the gospel. We need to know the basic truths of salvation and how to present the gospel to an unbeliever. We also need to establish the Lord's peace everywhere we go. Romans 16 verse 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So we wear the sandals, the shoes of peace with the preparation of the gospel. Um, I went, I went uh, this a week ago to visit the nursing home where um, a handful of us had been doing discipleship Bible studies with them for 15 months before COVID hit. And I, I've, now I'm allowed to be the essential caregiver of one of the ladies in the nursing home. And she's actually a youngest lady. She's younger than I am, but she's in there with Lyme's disease and she's in a wheelchair. <clears throat> but when she moved into that nursing home, the people that have gone with us, you'll know I'm talking about Beth Bailey. So when she went into the nursing home, she didn't know the Lord and her roommate led her to salvation in Jesus. And then she got another roommate and she was sharing Jesus with her. And one morning her roommate said, what must I do to be saved? I want to be saved. So she led her into salvation, and she's continuing to witness in the nursing home. And when I met with her last week, she said, seven of my family members have come to faith in Jesus in the last year. And then she said, three of them have already passed away. So, man, it's a good thing they got saved before they went into eternity. So I was so pleased with her. She said, and I've still got work to do, and that's why God keeps me here. This is my mission field. So wherever you are, that's your mission field. Okay, verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The Roman shield is coming up. There you go. It, it was kind of curved, had a curved shape that deflected the blows, the arrows, and the darts. It was made of several layers of wood and covered with canvas and calf skin. It was as thick as a hand, so this thick, and reinforced with iron edging. Few weapons could penetrate it. And Paul said, our faith is like a shield. It deflects the accusations of the enemy. We lift up the shield of faith when the enemy comes and he accuses us. We are to have faith in God and faithfulness to God. Our lives should be marked with a strong commitment to godly living, which will create a strong shield with solid edges, able to deflect all that the enemy fires at us. According to other verses, God himself is our shield. I want us to look at a few of those. Turn to Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30, verse 5.
Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Isn't that a great picture? We put our trust in the Lord, our faith in the Lord, and he is a shield around us that all the blows, the arrows, the darts are deflected off of that shield. Now go to Psalm Psalm 5. Psalm 5, verses 11 and 12 says, Let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. So God surrounds us with favor like a shield. And then one more passage. Let's go to Psalm 18. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. David says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I trust, my shield and the horn or the strength of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. And part of lifting up the shield of faith is calling on the Lord when we feel the attack from the enemy, and we will be saved. He is our shield. And then going back to Ephesians 6, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So the Roman helmet was designed to give an illusion of height. Let's go to the helmet, babe. There you go. So it rested on the head, but it actually was a, it was a little high because inside the helmet, it was reinforced with rods to protect the soldier from weapons, and it kind of raised him up, and that was intimidating to other people. So it was actually fashioned not only for the purpose of protection, but also intimidation. It had neck and ear guards. It was reinforced with these rods, especially to protect the soldier from the curve-bladed weapon that was used to sever a limb, split open the head, or decapitate an opponent. They had these curve-shaped swords that they could cut off body parts. And so this helmet was extra protection against that. So the head, for us, too, is a particular target. If the enemy can deceive us with lies and keep us from being transformed through the renewing of our minds through the Word of God, He can be victorious over us. If He can keep us thinking negative thoughts questioning God's sovereignty, questioning God's love, if he can keep us believing deception or lies or getting confused by all the many voices in the world and we're not filling our mind with the word of God and we're not hearing the voice of God, we're not maintaining that sound mind that comes from the spirit of God, then the enemy can win a battle over us. So we need to protect our minds. 
Philippians 4, 8 says, whatever things are true, this is what we need to put in our minds, in our brains, our thoughts, whatever things are noble, whatever things are pure, whatever things are just, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. So it's awfully hard with, with the many things that we hear in the world today. So we have to make a conscious effort to think on the things that the Lord wants us to think on. It says in the scripture that God, you know, may my meditation of the Lord be sweet. Part of that is because he's always reading our minds. He knows what's in our minds and what we're thinking is acted out in our action and our words, just like Pastor John is teaching right now. We always think about something before we act or before we speak. And so we need to make sure our minds are renewed. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 2, that our minds are renewed by the Word of God. And so we need to keep washing our mind with the Word. I love this psalm. Psalm 140, verse 7 says, O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. If you struggle with headaches, this is a great psalm. It's a great verse for you. You have covered my head in the day of battle. So he is the one covering our head. We don't need a real helmet because we have the helmet of salvation that protects our mind, protects the way we think. Our thoughts are established on the salvation that comes through Jesus. And he is the one. That is Psalm 140, verse 7. He has covered our head in the day of battle. And then let's flip over to 2 Corinthians 10. Um, familiar passage. Good to see it in light of what we're looking at today. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. Second Corinthians 10 verse 4 says the weapon of weapons of our warfare are not carnal they're not of the flesh but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds now those are strongholds of the mind not just strongholds of the enemy that we pray against but he's speaking specifically about strongholds of the mind he goes on to say casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And there he's speaking about arrogant arguings against God. About seven years ago, I was a friend and I were discipling some Baylor University students. And this one girl in our group had grown up in a Christian home. She knew the word, she knew the Lord, she loved the Lord. But one day, one of her professors in her biology class said, uh, was speaking strongly about evolution and that evolution is true, which calls into question the scriptures. And she, so she wanted private time with me. And I said, Sarah, you know the truth. You've grown up with the truth. You know the word of God. And she said, yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm not sure anymore. I'm really not sure. And you know what? It doesn't take much for us to start questioning. It really doesn't take much. That's why we need to stay in the word because it's so easy to question. And when the world around us is questioning, we need to know the truth. Jesus is the truth. The word is the truth. And that's what we stand on. So when he says bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, every thought that we, we have needs to be kneeling at the foot of the cross. It needs to be obedient 
to Jesus. So if it doesn't line up with the word, throw it out. Line up your thoughts with the word of God. Don't try to supplement the word with other things you're reading that actually are in opposition to the word. Okay. So each Roman soldier carried several weapons. They all had a long distance weapon. Sometimes they had a short distance javelin. Each one had a gladiator sword and a smaller lighter sword. The belt held a small dagger and inside the shield were five weighted darts that were barbed and could quickly kill a man or even kill a horse. And they were called fiery darts. Yeah, I'm glad you haven't moved yet. So the soldier actually carried a private arsenal, not just one weapon. He had to know his weapons well to make quick decisions as to which one to use, what occasion called for which weapon, and to have the coordination to switch from one to the other. And that's how we need to know the scriptures. We need to know which weapon to use when we're in the midst of fighting a battle. We need to know which verse is the appropriate one. Jesus knew the word of God so well. He grew up as a Jewish boy who would have studied the scriptures, known the scriptures. And when he was tempted in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, every time the devil tempted him, he came back with a scripture, just the right scripture for that temptation. We also need to know the word. I think I've said that probably a dozen times this morning. Sorry, it bears repetition, right? Okay, and then back to Ephesians 6. I'm going to read 17 again. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do we have a sword? Yeah, there you go. There's his sword. That's his main sword. So the sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon that Paul mentioned. So the imagery, the imagery is clear that if the believers were to effectively use their arsenal, they had to know the Word of God well. They would have to discern which weapon to use when, just as Jesus did. And then there's the testudo. Now, this is a Greek word. It actually means tortoise. And just as Paul's readers would have been familiar with the Roman military and their armor, they also would have been familiar with the Roman military formations. The imagery of the testudo or the tortoise formation held a special message for the church. Reuben, let's go to the next formation. There you go. That's the testudo. The tortoise, or the testudo, was formed when a command was given on the battlefield. So they were all fighting on the battlefield. Someone would yell out a command, and when they heard it, the soldiers of the perimeter would lock their shields with one another. They'd come together, lock their shields, creating a solid wall around them. The soldiers inside the... So there was no way that a weapon could get through all of these shields. One soldier was the eyes of the testudo, and he would shout out orders so that every soldier, even the one in the middle who was in total darkness and couldn't see where he was going, could hear that voice. And they would all know where to go and how to step so that they could continue to move forward in unity. Paul's readers were aware of the disciplined fighting force of the Romans and the need for them to be a strong army of God. 
Each one would protect himself with his own armor, but he also had to be willing to fight with and for his brother and sister. And part of that we see in verse 18, where Paul says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We don't live unto ourselves. No man is an island. We're all part of one another. So we wear all the weapons ourselves, so that we're in the full armor of God. We use our weapons wisely. But we also pray for one another. We support one another. We care for one another. I love how the Highland family does that. Um, I don't know how well other churches function, but the generosity of Highland is amazing. I don't know if you all read the email, but we were able to knock out over $19 million of debt, medical debt, because of the financial gifts we gave over that period of time. And uh, yeah, that's amazing. And then even the recent homegoings of different members of our family, how the family members have just gathered around the other family that are, are grieving. That's really been such a picture of how we are unified. We're one with each other. Let's make sure we're praying also for one another a lot. We all need prayer. We're all walking through battles. And uh, we all have our own trials and your trials are just as strong and hard for you as your trials are for you. And so even if you don't know some of the people by name, sometimes I just pray for all the senior adults in mass. Sometimes I pray for all the Naomi's. Sometimes I pray for all of our ABF. And sometimes I go down and call out names before the Lord. However he leads you to do it, let's be in prayer for each other. And as the, the days continue to get dark, as Jesus is going to be coming, let's all the more be diligent in our prayers for each other. Let's be a testudo so the enemy can't get in and pick off any one of us. Prayer is not so much a weapon. It's not even part of the armor. It is the means by which we engage in the battle, and it is the purpose for which we are armed. We put on the armor so that we can do warfare in the spirit through prayer. To put on the armor of God is to prepare for battle, Prayer is the battle, and God's word is our main weapon employed against Satan in our struggle. So each one of us should be part, prepared to be part of the testudo, locking our shield with those around us. That means with your family members. That means with your church members. Whoever God has linked you with, lock shields with them. We need to be surrounded by a wall of faithfulness. We need to be listening carefully to the voice of the Lord because he's the one. He's the captain of our salvation, and he's the one who calls out the commands. So we all need to be listening carefully for his voice so that we can move forward at his command in unity with each other. We are the army of God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you help each one of us to not only put on the armor <clears throat> intentionally every day, verbally, but to live in the armor every day. I pray we will live out truth as we put on that belt of truth every day. We would live out righteousness as we put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
we would live out the preparation of the shoes of peace, that everywhere we walk, we will establish peace, that every place our foot treads, we can take for the kingdom of God, that we're ready to share the gospel every opportunity you give us. I pray, Lord, that we would wear that helmet of salvation and we would protect our minds and what comes into our minds and the way we think, that we would resist every thought that would rise up against the truth of God's word, that we would renew our minds in the word of God. I pray, Lord, that we would use our weaponry well. We would know which weapon to use at what time we would use that sword of the spirit that we would lift up the shield of faith against the accusations of the enemy when he comes to accuse us, when he accuses you to us, when he accuses our brothers and sisters to us. Lord, may we lift up the shield of faith and faithfulness and stand against those accusations. And Lord, may we be people of prayer. May we be the temple of God, which is a house of prayer for all the nations. Lord, we know it, it can also be a building, but we also know that we are the temple of God ourselves, and we want to be a house of prayer. So, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us to stand firmly in this position of wearing all the armor of God and moving forward unified with each other as we follow the voice of our commander-in-chief. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Father. We love you, Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.